This morning's reading is coming from Exodus 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp near Piharath, between Midgal and the sea. They are to encamp by the sea directly opposite Baal de Stephon. Pharaoh will think the Israelites are wandering around the land in confusion, hemmed, <clears throat> hemmed in by the desert. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. But I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all of his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites did this. Originally, this is not what I had prepared to preach on. I had something all ready to go, and God said, no, I want you to go to Exodus 14. And we had a conversation about that because I went, but Lord, I'm ready. I'm, I have things all prepared. I'm all ready for this. And he went, no, I want you to do Exodus 14. And so kind of what we had was an argument. And finally he said, well, what is my name? And I said, well, the great I am. And he said, and what is your name? And I said, I am not. <laughs> so this morning we're going to Exodus 14. Um, and I'm actually in the next few minutes going to tackle questions that the whole world has had. Um, why do bad things happen? So now I have everybody's attention, right? I call this facing the Red Sea, and I know it's a place that I have felt like I have been many times, especially lately. And we know the story of Exodus and how Moses led the Jews um, through the Red Sea to freedom. But what can we learn from it? And that's what I wanted to, to look at right now. So Exodus 14, 1 and 2, I will read again. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp near Pi-Hirath, between Midgal and the sea. They are to encamp by the sea, directly opposite Baal-Zephon. Based on this scripture, they're, they're camped in a very non-strategic part. They are literally between two mountains and the Red Sea. So if you were in military operations, there's no way you would have chosen to camp there. And based on this scripture, these are the things I want you to hear. God knows where you are. He caused you to be there or he allowed you to be there. And I know this is a hard teaching on Sunday morning because we want you to come back. But the truth is, God led them there. He knew exactly where they were, and he told them exactly where to camp. Exodus 14, 12, the Jews are free after 400 years of slavery, and they are headed for the promised land. Imagine how excited they were. Can you imagine leading 3 million people? I used to lead 100 to Mexico on a mission trip, teenagers. We had our chapel bus, and we had about six or eight helpful cars that went with us. And we would go down, and of course, the first stop is... Ruth Ann, you remember this, we'd have to stop to go to the bathroom, and of course everybody piles out. That's a 45-minute stop when you have 100 people. 45 minutes easy, and of course they have to stop and buy a big gulp before they get back on the bus, which guarantees an hour later you have to stop again. And then I had drivers that were driving their own vehicles that would go off and do their own thing. That was terrible. That's why I always say I never had as much, I never had trouble with the teenagers, it was the adults that used to drive me crazy. Um, I wonder how many times Moses may have heard when he led the Jews in the wilderness for 40 years, I have to go to the bathroom. I'm thirsty. Moses, there's no water. I'm tired of manna. 
He's touching me. And then they, the famous one they said is, why didn't you just leave us in Egypt? Really? Where they beat you and you were in slavery? Kind of forgot that. But remember, God told them, turn back. This is exactly where I want you to camp. So they are stuck between two mountains and the Red Sea. Remember, God said in Exodus 13, 21, it says, The Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud and at night in a pillar of fire. So he literally led them there. In case you don't know this, this is a, known as a Christophany, which is actually the presence of Jesus in the Old Testament, and there are several of those there. It's the appearance of God himself, and he literally led them there. I love that part that says, Then the angel of God, who had been traveling in front of Israel's army, withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved from in front to behind. So in other words, while the Jews were facing the Red Sea, Jesus, the pillar moved from in front of them, leading them to behind them. So darkness was on the Egyptians, but light was to the Jews. It's a perfect description of what Jesus does for us. He gives light to those who trust him. Those who reject him are in the darkness. He comforts one and confounds the other. He is the savior to one and judge to the other. For, our, for his children, he is guide and guard, shepherd and shield. He guides our future, the one who also goes behind us, gathering up the debris of our mess and our failures, and our poor attempts, and he makes something positive out of them. You know, I know it's really hard to listen to or to realize that God has put you in the position you're in, or he has allowed you to be there. But the truth is, sometimes we, when things are going great and fine, and, you know, we kind of go, oh, Lord, thanks for this food, thanks for this day. And it's not that we don't love the Lord, but we kind of put him on the back burner because we go on with life and everything is fine. But when your life is falling apart, when that diagnosis comes or that relationship falls apart or the world happens to you, you know, we hit your, you hit your knees in the hall as you're sliding into the bedroom screaming, Lord! And God is on your mind, on your heart, and on your lips every minute of every day. And I know that's how he was with me. The great thing is, is you can feel him holding you. You can feel his presence right there every minute. So number one, God has allowed you to be there or put you in that situation. Number two is acknowledge the enemy, but look up to God and keep your eyes on him. Pharaoh has now realized that the servants are gone. There's no one to wait on him hand and foot. There's no one to oil his body. There's no one to bring him his food. He hears no building going on. All of the construction sites are gone. And he, the realization hits him that he let them go. And he gets angry. He shouts at his troops to get up out of bed. He grabs, go get your chariots, 600, and horses. In the meantime, the Jews are free. They're celebrating. They're high-fiving each other. They're having a good time. They are free. And they're camped for the night. And all of a sudden, they hear this rumbling, and they feel it. It's like thunder? What is that? And they start looking around, and they look behind them, and they see the dust of all the chariots and the Egyptian army behind them. Can you imagine the fear in their hearts? Each chariot carried two people, 
one to fight and one to drive. They see that dust and they realize they are caught between the rock and a hard place, the devil and the deep Red Sea. Have you ever felt pursued like that? Have you ever felt oppressed? Have you ever felt Satan nipping at your heels? I want you to consider the parallels between Pharaoh and Satan. Both were unyielding enemies, coveting God's power for themselves. Both have been beaten by the Almighty, and they are enraged. Both have assembled vast armies for the destruction of God's people, and yet neither of them realize how defeated they are. In the Bible, Satan is described as being a serpent trying to deceive his people, a bird trying to strip God's harvest, a wolf attacking God's flock, a lion trying to devour God's children, and a dragon wanting to destroy God's son. Satan is beaten because Jesus' blood has covered us, forgives us, resolves our guilt, and his resurrection frees us from the fear of death. The presence of the Lord surrounds us, and his Bible gives us promises to hang on to. But Satan does not give up easily. Anybody who's been attacked can say that. He comes at us with chariots roaring, weapons aimed our way, and he tries to trap us in difficulty and trouble and corner us in what seems like an impossible situation. I've been there. We must resist him, and there's only the best way to resist him is with Bible verses. Remember Jesus, when he was taken into the desert, Satan tempted him all these ways, and he beat him back with Bible verses. We need to acknowledge the enemy, but keep your eyes higher. Keep your eyes on God. Another way to resist Satan's attacks is Bible verses and singing. I don't know about you. If you don't know any other song other than Jesus loves me, this I know, the Bible tells me so, you know, or maybe John 3.16. Anything will make him flee. James 4.7 says, Submit yourself then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. 1 Peter 5.9 says, Resist him standing firm in the faith. So no, God has put you there or allowed you to be there. Acknowledge your enemy, but keep your eyes on God. Number three is, God is more concerned with your eternity than he is your comfort. I'll say that again. God is more concerned with our eternity than he is our comfort. You know, our life here on earth, 80, 90 years, 100 maybe, is a drop in the bucket. Isn't even a blip on the radar if you look at eternity. So God is more concerned about us in eternity than he is here. He is so concerned about the people that don't know him because eternity separated from him is too hard to even comprehend. Pharaoh in uh, Exodus 14, 3 and 4, Pharaoh will think, Israelites are wandering around the land confused, hem in by the desert, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them but I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. God wanted Pharaoh and the Egyptians to acknowledge him, to know he is God. I actually heard of an atheist at a dinner party one time, and the host was telling his friends about how God had led Moses through the Red Sea. 
And the atheist said, well, you know, it wasn't really the Red Sea. It was the Reed Sea. It was like two feet of reeds. They walked across on dry land. And his little son, the host's son, comes up and says, wow, God drowned the entire Egyptian army in two feet of reeds. The truth is, people watch us. If they know we are Christians, they watch us. And when times are good, we don't make an impression. When times are great, they may even be jealous of us. But when times are hard, when things are bad, when you feel absolutely horrible and the world is falling apart, but you still worship God and you still love the Lord and you can still show His promises, people look at you and go, what is different? How can you do that? You know, when you are going through hard times, you actually have an opportunity to do something for Jesus that you don't have at any other time in your life. Think about that. When those times are really, really hard and people are looking at you, you have the opportunity to really shine for the Lord that we don't have any other time. I had a really sweet friend, Shirley, that I, um, she used to go to this church for years and years. And her husband was dying of cancer. He uh, fought cancer for 10 years. And his last bout with cancer was actually skin cancer. So she literally had to change his um, bandages all the time. So she was working with him all the time. And the hospice nurses and the, the, the nurses that would come in, they got to talking and they would tell her about other homes they would go to where the people didn't have bare necessities. They didn't have like... Um, you know, like plastic sheets on their beds, or they didn't have shampoo and shave cream and all that because they were in these homes. And so Shirley took it on herself, even though dealing with her husband and helping him all these years, she contacted friends in her church and another church, and she started collecting items. So every time the nurses came to, to work with her husband, she would just give them tons of things for other people. Can you imagine? They were blown away. They could not believe how this woman had a heart uh, to help others when she was going through so much herself. And what an incredible blessing that was on them. But, but the, the um, way it spoke to them and she was able to tell them it was because of Jesus and the hope that they had. I know in my own life we couldn't get pregnant that we couldn't stop having kids. So in the, in the middle of four kids I had uh, two miscarriages and I also took care of my father dying of cancer. I took care of my mother who lost both her legs and her eyesight. And I took care of an elderly aunt that died from Parkinson's. And I once had a girl say, how do you get up in the morning? I really didn't think anything about it. I said, well, it's with Jesus. And I was able to share the Lord with her. What a blessing you get out of that. I know it sounds hard. I know it sounds impossible. But when you are in the depth. When you are going through the absolute worst time, if you can pull yourself up enough to help someone else, you will be so blessed and you will be able to share the Lord with them in a way that they never would pay attention to you, ever. One of the girls that, one of the ladies that went to the church, many of you might remember um, Judy McMurtry, was going through breast cancer. And the whole time she's in for surgery, she's witnessing to the nurses. What an amazing woman and what an amazing ministry. I just beg of you, try your best to just even pick up a phone and try to encourage somebody else, and you will be so blessed. Instead of asking, how quickly can I get out of this mess, 
or why did this happen to me? Ask God how he can use you in the middle of all this and you will receive blessings you didn't know existed. And you know, it's not like Jesus is saying, well, you know, do as I say, not as I do. Because remember him. He was beaten beyond recognition. He had his beard plucked out. He was uh, flogged. He was stripped. He was spit on and ultimately nailed to a tree to die as a common criminal. And yet, while he was on that cross, the centurion standing there heard the things he said, like, you know, John, this is your mother, my mother, this is now, you know, the one who's going to take care of you. He said things like, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. He even said to the thief on the cross next to him, you know, today you're going to be in paradise with me. Instead of hurling insults as the others had done. The centurion heard that, and when Jesus died, he said, surely this was the Son of God. That centurion had heard the stories. He knew that Jesus had healed the sick. He had raised the dead. He cured leprosy. Paralyzed people walked. And yet, when Jesus suffered and died, he said, surely this is the Son of God. So know that God has allowed you to be where you are. Acknowledge your enemy, but look to God. God is more concerned with your eternity than he is your comfort. And number four, pray. You know, we can either do two things. We can panic or we can pray. And I have never known panic to solve anything. When you can't move forward, backward, sideways, you better look up and pray. In Mark 6.30, there's the wonderful story when uh, Jesus had fed the 5,000, it says 5,000 men, so you can figure 5,000 women and probably 10,000 kids. So he fed as many as 20,000 people on a little boy's lunch. And his uh, disciples had already walked with him for quite a while. When it's, they've sent them all away, they've all gone, Jesus goes up on the mountain to pray and he sends them where? He sends them across the Sea of Galilee into a storm. By the way, he sent them into the storm. He's up on the mountain and he's praying. And the part I love, it says, his eyes were on them. When you are in the middle of that storm, know that his eyes are on you. You are not out of his sight. And he finally realizes they're not going to call on him. I love this because, you know, they're probably paddling like crazy with it's like, you know, two feet forward and ten feet back and two feet forward and ten feet back. And they're not going anywhere and being thrown around and probably seasick. They never thought... I mean, they saw Jesus calm a storm one time, but they never even thought to say, man, I wish Jesus was here at least to help us paddle, but they didn't even do that. So Jesus finally goes out to them, and I love it because he's walking on the water, and he's probably humming, going, you know, man, I love you, don't you know? <laughs> and if you read the same account in John, it says, they were willing to take him in the boat. Really? They were willing to take him in the boat. That's what you need to do. When you are in the middle of that storm, ask him in your boat, for heaven's sake. First thing you do is pray. Put the paddles aside. Pray. God many times brings us into straits so he can bring us to our knees. Psalm 107, 28 and 29 said, Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm with a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. God allowed you to be there 
Acknowledge your enemy, but look to God. He's more interested than your eternity and your comfort, and pray. And number five, trust God to deliver in a unique way. Exodus 14, 21 through 22, Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. I heard a commentary one time I thought was great because it said, you know, don't forget there's three million zoos. And they took all their stuff with them. And they even asked their neighbors for stuff before they left. So they are moving with cattle and all their things to move across the Red Sea. And one night, three million people and all their stuff, God would have had to open an area five miles wide. It's not Disneyland where you see this little and you go through. Five miles wide. That's the magnificent God that we serve. Trust God to deliver in his own unique way because that's his specialty. Might not be what we expect and probably won't be what we expect. I know in my years of walking with Jesus, he has always done the unexpected with me. And I know there's been many times I thought maybe a prayer wasn't answered, but when I turned back in retrospect, I realized that he answered it in an incredible way, much better than anything I could ever think of. I read of the Pacific Garden Mission of Chicago, which got its start in 1880s. It was a saloon called the Pacific Beer Garden. It was leased by a wonderful, sweet Christian couple, George and Sarah Clark. They dropped the word beer and added the word mission, and they started a ministry to downtrodden men and women. In the early years, they paid all the expenses themselves, but eventually they ran out of money. They couldn't pay the rent, and they had 24 hours to pay, or they would lose their lease. All night, they prayed. Coming out of their home in the morning, they found their yard blanketed with white Looking closer, they discovered that the lawn was covered with a very rare mushroom of the highest quality. And it wasn't even the season for mushrooms. They gathered the crop and they took it down to a place called the Palmer House and sold them to the chef for enough money to pay their rent. Mrs. Clark said no mushrooms were ever seen before or after. Truth is, this life is hard. It's not fair. And anyone telling you if you become a Christian... Your life is going to be easy. They are wrong. Maybe you're thinking, you don't know what I'm going through, and you're right. But I do know the God I serve, and I do know what he has done in my life. And I know how he has brought me through. Jesus didn't promise us an easy life. He promised to be with us in hard times. He said, in this life you will have troubles, but I have come to overcome the world. Psalm, excuse me, Isaiah 43, 1 through 3 is one of my favorite verses. It says, Fear not, I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, you will, they will not sweep over you. When you pass through the rivers, I will be with you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. And a little while a couple of verses below it, it says, Because you are precious and honored in my sight, and I love you, do not be afraid. That is a promise you can hold on to. So no, God 
led you to or allowed you to be in the situation you are now. Acknowledge your enemy, but look higher to God. Know that God is more concerned with your eternity than your comfort. He wants to reach the lost. In the middle of hard times, ask him what you can do to glorify him and watch the blessings flow. Pray and trust that God will deliver you in a unique way. I did want to close with a story of my son Scott when he was a little boy. And he had to go in and have blood drawn. And I don't know about you, that's really painful because they can never find my veins anyway. But I was holding him on my lap. I'm just crying and I'm just going, God, I wish you would just take my blood instead. And I thought later, what a beautiful picture of what Jesus does to us. You know, when you are hurting, when life is falling apart, you can crawl on his lap and you will feel him put his arms around you and hold you tight because he loves you so much and he did give his blood for you.